Section 17 of the Exemplary Novels of Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. The Exemplary Novels by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by Walter K. Kelly. The Generous Lover, Part 2. In conformity with this permission, the Janissaries opened a passage to the door of the tent, and every one entered who pleased. Mahmoud made Ricardo go in along with him, for being Hassan's slave his entrance was not opposed. Several Greek Christians and some Turks appeared as appellants, but all upon such trifling matters, that the caddy dispatched most of them without the formality of written declarations, rejoiners, and replications. It is, in fact, the custom of the Turks that all causes, except those which relate to marriage, shall be immediately and summarily decided, rather by the rules of common sense than of legal precedent. Among these barbarians, if such they are in this respect, the caddy is sole judge in all cases, cut short the pleadings, give sentence in a breath, and there is no appeal from his decision. That is to say, a Turkish alguazil entered and said that a Jew stood without, at the door of the tent, with a most beautiful Christian maiden for sale. The caddy gave orders to admit him. The Kawas withdrew and immediately returned, accompanied by a Jew of venerable appearance, who led by the hand a young woman clothed in Moorish dress, which became her so well that the most richly arrayed women of Fez or Morocco could not be compared with her. Though in the art of adorning themselves, they surpass all the other women of Africa not excepting those of Algiers, with all their profusion of pearls. The face of the female slave was covered with a mask of crimson taffety. On her ankles she wore two rings, apparently of pure gold, and two others set with large pearls. On her arms, which shone through the sleeves of a transparent camisole, her whole dress was rich, gay, and graceful. Struck by her appearance, the first thing the caddy and the pashas did was to bid the Jew make the Christian uncover her face. She did so, and disclosed a countenance, which, like the sun bursting through thick clouds which have long obscured it, dazzled the eyes and gladdened the hearts of the beholders. But on none did that marvellous light produce such an effect as on the woe-worn Ricardo, for he saw before him no other than his cruel and beloved Leonisa, whom he had so often, and with such bitter tears, bewailed as dead. At the unexpected sight of such unapparelled loveliness, Ali felt his heart transfixed. Hassan's was pierced with as a deep a wound, nor did the caddies escape scatheless. But even more deeply smitten than the two pashas, he could not take his eyes off the Christian face. All three were seized at the same moment with an absolute determination to possess her, and without stopping to inquire how or where or when she had come into the hands of the Jew, they bade him name her price. Four thousand doblas, he replied. The words were no sooner out of the Jew's mouth than Ali Pasha said he would give the price, and that the Jew had only to go to his tent to fetch the money. Hassan Pasha, however, who looked as if he had no mind to lose her, though she were to cost him his life, interposed and said, I myself will give the four thousand doblas demanded by the Jew, though I would not interfere with the Ali's bargain or oppose his wishes, were I not compelled by motives the imperious force and obligation of which he will himself acknowledge. This exquisitely beautiful slave is not for us, but for the Grand Seigneur alone, and therefore I say that I must purchase her in his name. Let us see now who will be so bold as to dispute the purchase with me. That I will, replied Ali, for it is for that very purpose I buy her of the Jew, 
and it suits me the better to make the present to his highness as i have the opportunity of taking her to constantinople in a few days and thus winning the favor of the sultan for being as you see hassan a man without employment i must seek means for obtaining one whereas you are secure in that respect for three years since to-day you enter upon the government of this rich realm of cyprus on these grounds and as i was the first to offer the price demanded for the slave it stands to reason hassan that you should yield her to me the satisfaction i shall feel in purchasing and sending her to the sultan said hassan is so much greater as i shall do it without being prompted by any motives of interest whatever and as for a convenient means of sending her to constantinople she shall go thither in a galley manned only by my own slaves ellie now started up in wrath and clutching his scimitar cried out since we both intend the same thing hassan mainly to present this christian to the grand seigneur and since i was the first purchaser reason and justice require that you should leave her to me if you will not this blade in my hand shall defend my right and punish your audacity the caddy who had been closely watching this contest and who was himself no less inflamed with desire than either of the pashas bethought him now he might remain possessor of the prize without giving any cause to suspect his insidious designs rising therefore to his feet he stepped between the two angry pashas be quiet hassan he said calm yourself ali here am i who can and will arrange your differences in such wise that you shall both have your intentions fulfilled the sultan shall be gratified as you desire and shall be under obligations to you both alike for your loyal and acceptable homage the two pashas submitted at once to the caddy as they would have done even had the terms he imposed appeared harder to them such is the respect which is paid to their elders by those of that accursed sect the caddy then continued to address to them ali said he you say that you want this christian to present her to the grand seigneur and hassan says the same you allege that having been the first to offer the price required she ought to be yours but hassan denies this and though he does not know how to assign valid grounds for his claim yet i find that he has the same as yourself namely the intention which doubtless must have arisen within him at the same time as within yourself to purchase the slave for the self-same purpose only you had the advantage of him by being the first to declare yourself this however is no reason why he should be out and out defrauded of the benefit of his good will and therefore i am of the opinion that it will be well to arrange matters between you in this wise let the slave be bought by you both and since she is to belong to the grand seigneur for whom you buy her it will be for him to dispose of her meanwhile hassan you shall pay two thousand doublets and ali another two thousand and the slave shall remain in my custody so that i may send her in the name of you both to constantinople and thus i too shall not be without some reward for my presence and aid on this occasion accordingly i undertake to send her at my own cost in a style worthy of the great sovereign to whom she is to be presented and i will write to the grand seigneur a true account of all that has occurred here and of the good will you have shown in his service the two enamoured pashas could find no pretext for gainsaying this decision and though it thwarted their desires they were constrained to submit each of them comforting himself with the hope however doubtful that he would succeed at last Hassan, who was to remain viceroy of Cyprus, resolved to make such presents to the caddy as would induce him to give up the slave. Ali formed other plans, and as he flattered himself that he should carry them into successful operation, they both professed themselves satisfied, and paid the Jew two thousand doblas each. The Jew then said that he had sold the slave, but not the clothes she wore, which were worth another two thousand doblas. And this indeed was true, 
for her hair which she wore partly loose on her shoulders and partly braided on her forehead was most gracefully interwoven with strings of pearls her bracelets and anklets too were set with very large pearls and her green satin robe was heavily flounced and embroidered with gold in short all agreed that the jew had set a low price on the dress and the caddy to show himself no less liberal than the two pashas said that he would pay for it and that the slave might appear before the grand seigneur as she then stood the two competitors agreed in approving of this each of them believing that slave dress and all would soon be his own it is impossible to describe ricardo's feelings when he saw the treasure of his soul thus put up for sale and found that he had regained it only to lose it more cruelly he knew not whether he was asleep or awake and could not believe his own eyes for it seemed incredible that they should have so unexpectedly before them her whom he had supposed to have disappeared for ever do you know her he whispered in mahmoud's ear no i do not was the reply then i must tell you that it is leonisa what do you say ricardo exclaimed mahmoud i say it's leonisa say no more fortune is proving your friend and all is turning out for the best for she is to remain in my master's custody what think you shall i place myself where i may be seen by her by no means lest you give her a sudden shock nor must you let it be known that you have seen her for that might disconcert the plan i have in view i will do as you advise said ricardo turning away his eyes and carefully avoiding those of leonisa which were meanwhile bent upon the ground presently the caddy went up to her taking her by the hand delivered her to mahmoud ordering him to take her into the city and give her up to his lady halema with directions to keep her a slave of the grand seigneur mahmoud obeyed and left ricardo alone following his eyes with the star of his soul until it disappeared behind the walls of nicosia he then went up to the jew and asked him where he had bought that christian slave or how he had become possessed of her the jew replied he had bought her in the island of pantanalia the jew replied he had bought her in the island of pantanalia of some turks who had been shipwrecked there ricardo would have pursued his inquiries but the jew was called away to give the pashas the very same information which ricardo so much longed to obtain during the walk from the tents to the city mahmoud conversed with leonisa in italian and asked her whence she came she replied that she belonged to the illustrious city of trapani and that her parents were noble and wealthy though as for herself she was utterly unfortunate mahmoud then asked her if she knew a gentleman of birth and fortune in that city named ricardo on hearing that name a sigh escaped her that seemed to come from the bottom of her heart i know him she replied to my sorrow why to your sorrow because it was to his sorrow that he knew me and for my misfortune perhaps said mahmoud you may also know in the same city another gentleman a very amiable disposition the son of very wealthy parents and himself a person of great spirit liberality and discretion his name is cornelio him him too i know and of him still more than ricardo i may say that i know him to my sorrow but who are you sir who know these gentlemen and inquire of me respecting them doubtless heaven in compassion for the trouble and mischances i have undergone has sent me to a place where if they do not cease at least i may find a person to console me for them i am a native of palermo said mahmoud brought by various chances to wear this garb and to be in appearance so different from what i am in my secret soul i know the gentlemen in question because not many days ago they were with me 
Corneleo was captured by some Moors of Tripoli, and sold by them to a Turk, who brought them to this island, whether he came to trade, for he is a merchant of Rhodes, and so highly satisfied was he with Corneleo, and such was the confidence he reposed in his truth and integrity, that he entrusted him with his whole property. "'He will be sure to take care of it,' said Leonisa, "'for he takes very good care of his own. But tell me, signor, how or with whom did Ricardo come to this island?' "'He came,' said Mahmoud with a corsair who had captured him in a garden on the coast near Trapani, and along with him a damsel, whose name I never thought of asking, though the corsair often spoke to me in praise of her beauty. Ricardo remained hero some days with his master, until the latter went to visit the tomb of Mahomet, which is in the city of Almedina, and then Ricardo fell into such a sickness that his master left him with me, as being my countryman, that I might take care of him until the return of the pilgrim to Cyprus, should that happen or else I was to send Ricardo to Constantinople, when his master should advise me of his arrival there. But heaven ordered it otherwise, for the unfortunate Ricardo died in a few days, always invoking to the last name of one, Leonisa, whom he had told me he loved more than his life and soul. She had been drowned, he said, in the wreck of a galley on the coast of the island of Pantantanella. He never ceased to deplore her death till his grief destroyed him, for that, in fact, was the only malady I discovered in him. "'Tell me, signor,' said Leonisa, "'in the conversations you had with the other young man, "'did he sometimes name this Leonisa? "'Did he relate the manner in which he and she and Ricardo were captured?' "'He did name her,' replied Mahmoud, "'and asked me if there had been brought to this island "'a Christian of that name, of such and such appearance. "'For if so, he would like to ransom her, "'provided her owner had been undeceived "'as to his notion that she was richer than she really was. "'Or should it chance that having enjoyed her, "'he held her in less esteem?' If her price did not exceed three or four hundred crowns, he would pay it gladly, because he had once had some regard for her. "'It must have been very little,' said Leonisa. "'Since it was worth no more than four hundred crowns, Ricardo was more generous. Heaven forgive her, who was the cause of his death, and that was myself, for I am the unhappy maiden whom he wept as dead, and God knows I should rejoice were he alive.' that I might repay him by letting him see how I felt for his misfortunes. Yes, signor, I am the little loved of Cornello. I truly wept of Ricardo, whom various chances have brought to the miserable state in which I now am. But through my perils, by the favor of heaven, I have preserved my honor unsullied, and that consoles me in my misery. I know not at this moment where I am, nor who is my master, nor what my adverse fates have determined is to become of me. I entreat you, therefore, signor, by the Christian blood that flows in your veins, that you will advise me in my difficulties. For though they have already taught me something in my experience, yet they are so great and never-ending that I know not what to do. Mahmoud assured her he would do what he could to help her to the best of his understanding and his power. He acquainted her with the nature of the dispute there had been between the two pashas concerning her, and how she was now in the keeping of his master the caddy who was to send her to Constantinople to the Grand Turk Selim, but that he trusted that the true God, in whom he, though a bad Christian, believed would dispose of her otherwise. He advised her to conciliate Halima, the wife of his master, the caddy, with whom she was to remain until she was sent to Constantinople, and of whose character he gave her some details. Having given her this and other useful counsel, he arrived at the caddy's house, and delivered her over to Halima, along with his master's message. 
The Moorish woman received her well, seeing her so beautiful and so handsomely dressed, and Mahmoud returned to the tents, where he recounted to Ricardo, point by point, all that had passed between himself and Leonisa, and the tears came into his eyes when he spoke of the feeling displayed by Leonisa when he told her that Ricardo was dead. He stated how he had invented the story of Cornelio's captivity, in order to see what impression it made on her, and in what disparaging terms he had spoken of him. This was all balm to Richard's afflicted heart. I remember, friend Mahmoud, he said, an anecdote related to me by my father. You know how ingenious he was. And you have heard how highly he was honored by the Emperor Charles V, whom he always served in honorable posts in peace and war. He told me that when the Emperor was besieging Tunis, a Moorish woman was brought to him one day in his tent, as a marvel of beauty, and that some rays of the sun, entering the tent, fell upon her hair, which fade with them in its gold luster, a rare thing among the Moorish women, whoso hair is almost universally black. Among many other Spanish gentlemen, present on that occasion, there were two of distinguished talent as poets, one an Andalusian, the other Catalan. Struck with the admiration at the sight before him, the Andalusian began to extemporize some verses, but stopped short in the middle of the last line, unable to finish them for want of a rhyme, whereupon the Catalan, who saw his embarrassment, caught the line as if it were out of his mouth, finished it, continued the thought, and completed the poem. This incident came into my mind when I saw the exquisitely beautiful Leonisa enter the Pasha's tent, obscuring not only the rays of the sun, but the whole firmament, with all its stars. "'Gently, gently, friend Ricardo,' said Mahmoud. "'I am afraid if you praise your mistress at that rate you will seem to be a heathen rather than a Christian.' "'Well, tell me, then,' said Ricardo, "'what you think of doing in our business.' Whilst you were conducting Leonisa to Halima, a Venetian renegade who was in the Pasha's tent, and who understands Turkish very well, explained to me all that had passed between them. Above all things, then, we must try to find some means of preventing Leonisa's being sent to the Grand Seigneur. The first thing to be done is to have you transferred to my master, said Mahmoud, and then we will consider what next. The keeper of Hassan's Christian slaves now came up and took Ricardo away with him. The caddy returned to the city with Hassan, who in a few days made out the report on Ali's administration, and gave it to him under seal that he might depart to Constantinople. Ali went away at once laying strict injunctions on the caddy to send the captive without delay to the sultan, along with such a letter as would be serviceable to himself. The caddy promised all this with a treacherous heart, for it was inflamed for the fair Christian. Ali went away full of false hopes. Leaving Hassan equally deluded by them, Mahmoud contrived that Ricardo should pass into the possession of his master. But day after day stole on, and Ricardo was so racked with longing to see Leonisa that he could have no rest. He changed his name to Mario, that in his own right not reach her ears before he saw her, which indeed was a very difficult thing, because the Moors are exceedingly jealous, and conceal their faces of their women from the eyes of all men. It is true they are not so scrupulous with regard to Christian slaves, perhaps because being slaves they do not regard them as men. Now it chanced that one day the Lady Halima saw her slave Mario and gazed so much upon him that his image regained imprinted on her heart. Not very well satisfied with the languid embraces of her old husband, she readily gave admission to a reprehensible desire, and as readily communicated it to Leonisa, whom she liked much for her agreeable temper, and treated with great respect as a slave of the Grand Seigneur. 
she told her how the caddy had brought home a christian captive of such graceful manners and appearance that she had never set eyes on a more engaging man in all her life she understood that he was a chilidi that is a gentleman of the same country as her renegade mahmoud and that she knew not how to make known to him her inclination so that the christian might not despise her for her voluntary declaration leonisa asked what was the captive's name and being told that it was mario she replied if he was a gentleman and of the place they say i should know him but there's no one of that name in trapani but let me see him and speak with him lady and i will tell you who he is and what may be expected of him it shall be so said alima on friday when the caddy is at prayers in the mosque i will make mario come in here where you may speak to him alone and if you can give him a hint of my desires you will do so in the best way you can not two hours after this conversation the caddy sent for mahmoud and mario and with no less earnestness had halima unbosomed herself to leonisa the amorous greybeard opened his own to his two slaves asking their advice as to what he should do to enjoy the christian and cheat the grand seigneur to whom she belonged for he would sooner die a thousand deaths than give her up to him so earnestly did the reverend turk declare his passion that he inspired his two slaves with no less earnestness though their purposes were quite the reverse of his it was settled between them that mario as a countryman of the fair christians should take it in hand to solicit her on the caddy's part and if that failed the latter should use force since she was in his power and afterwards account for not sending her to constantinople by pretending that she was dead the caddy was highly delighted with the advice of his two slaves and with all imaginable clarity he gave mahmoud his freedom on the spot and promised to bequeath him half his property when he died to mario likewise he promised in case of success his liberty and money enough to enable him to return home a wealthy man if he was liberal in promises his slaves were prodigal and they would bring down the moon for him from heaven much more leonisa if only he gave them an opportunity of speaking with her mario shall have one whenever he pleases said the caddy for i will make halima go for some days to the house of her parents who are greek christians and when she is away i will order the porter to admit mario into the house as often as he pleases and i will tell leonisa that she may converse with her countrymen whenever she has a mind thus did the wind begin to shift in ricardo's favour his master and mistress working for him without knowing it and the first to begin was halima as was to be expected of her for it is the nature of women ever to be prompt and bold where their pleasures are concerned that same day the caddy told halima that she might pay a visit to her parents and stay with them some time if she liked but as elated as she was with the false hopes given her by leonisa she was so far from wishing to visit her parents she would not have cared to go to the imaginary paradise of mahomet she replied then that she had no such wish at the moment when she had she would mention it and then she would take the christian maiden with her that you must not replied the caddy for it is not right that the grand seigneur's slave should be seen by any one much less should she converse with christians for you know when she comes into the sultan's possession she will be shut up in the seraglio and must become a turk whether she will or not as she will be in my company said halima for there will be no harm in her being in the house of my parents or conversing with them i do so myself and am i not less of a good turk for all that besides i do not intend to remain with them for more than four or five days at most for my love for you will not allow me to be gone so long without seeing you here the conversation dropped the caddy not venturing to make any further objection for fear of rousing her suspicions end of the generous lover part two
Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah, VoiceOver-Solutions.com.